Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Welcome to Crunch Time. Delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster. Available at selected restaurants. The Rooster's calling. Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X. Built tough. And set a half back on to Pelly, tries to steer the ship, and Oliver is a powerful force off the pick and a hand pass to Harms. And Harms kicks the first goal. In 20 seconds, no less. What a start for the Demons. This one's taken away by Bailey Smith, and it's a deep entry too. And Waitman's able to skim it off the pack and kick a magnificent left foot goal just like that. Well, there's a response from the Bulldogs. McCrae Liberatore, kick was smothered. Petrarca gets hold of it, swings at a goal. Oh, how they'd roar for that if they were here. A superb goal from Christian Petrarca. In the battle of the superstars, he lays down the first. Tom McDonald settles himself over the set shot. It'll have to be a drop punt from 50. He launches the right boot into it and carries the trip. It's a superb kick. And Melbourne just fend the dogs away. Fritch into the field of play. Full-blooded snap. Got it. His third. Outstanding. And there it is, Melbourne by 28 points. It is a result that echoes around Marvel Stadium, but it will reverberate through the competition. A comprehensive win in the top of the table clash. Melbourne is the benchmark. We knew we were playing against a quality side, and I was just really proud of the boys, the way they went about it. You know, it wasn't the perfect week, but their ability to deal with that maturity shown and their ability to execute what we were trying to do was outstanding. And um, yeah, that's clearly one of their best performances for the year. Melbourne plants its flag on top of the mountain with a dominant display against the Doggies. The Demons balance and skill to the fore as they surge again clear on the ladder. Angus Brayshaw joins us. We kicked the ball straight to him a number of times in that first part of the first quarter, so we started uh, on the back foot and we didn't really recover. We were expecting at some point to get a run on a little bit and but you know credit to Melbourne they um, I think you know, most of the year we've been able to outwork sides and see it through and, uh, and tonight they uh, they had most of the bases covered and we, we couldn't force anything and um, you know it was only a 28 point loss felt like a lot more in the end. In the high-end examination the Bulldogs come up well short how deep is Luke Beveridge forced to look at the shortcomings against the benchmark? Sends a shudder through everyone, and that's disappointing news. At the moment, you know, things seem okay, but at the same time, as players, we've got a commitment that we're 
you know, we'll do what needs to be done. I'm currently on King's Way heading to Marvel Stadium for a COVID test. We got the message last night that we'd be flying out this afternoon. There's probably still that question mark of, okay, are we coming home on Sunday afternoon or are we not coming home on Sunday afternoon? It's disappointing for fans in Victoria to not be able to attend the footy, but the events of the last 24, 48 hours reiterate the reasons why we have put in place the contact tracing requirements at matches. All to best keep fans and the community as safe as possible as we continue to navigate through the pandemic. Empty stands, unscheduled travel, snap testing, a scramble to keep the fixture on track. It's deja vu as Victoria's lockdown causes COVID chaos. What happens next? Well, that's anyone's guess. We'll explore the scenarios in the crunch. This is the Round 11 edition of Crunch Time. It was the lonely landslide for the Demons last night. It serves their purposes well. If they needed any validation, they certainly got it against the Bulldogs. The MCG next to go this afternoon. It'll be Collingwood and Geelong, and there'll be nobody in to see it. A big shout-out this morning to those who are in five-hour queues waiting for vaccinations in Victoria and to the 56,000 who got themselves tested yesterday. This state is taking it seriously, and it's taking it seriously for ourselves, for our community, and for our footy to try to get it back on track in the shortest time possible. Jared Waitley with you on Crunch Time. Justin Leppich is with me. Hello, Lepper. Good morning, Jared. Bit of unscheduled tiling happening at your place Ooh. during lockdown. I had the biggest 48 hours planned, which became almost the most boring 48 hours planned. So you're right, I decided to smash down a bathroom. What else can you do with a week off? If you needed anything else out of Melbourne, uh, it was there last night. Are they the, Have they completed their case as to why they're, they're the premiership favourites? I think so. They, what we saw on display last night was their system holds up under any sort of pressure. And not only that, against the best team in the competition or equal best team in the competition. So you take a lot of lot of satisfaction out of that win last night. Nick Del Santo in place. What did you think, Del? Hello. Good, good morning, everybody. Hope everybody is uh, feeling well this morning and, and safe. What did I make of last night? Well, the belief and the confidence in the Ds is growing. And I was one of the sceptics of the first half of the year saying, well, they are still the Ds, so something will go wrong. And maybe it will. But to this point, and what they did last night against quality opposition, as we know, they strangled them. And they absolutely took their game away. And they gave everything that they had on the way back. I thought it was a brilliant performance from the very first bounce, Jared. Our foursome rounded out by Andy Ma. Hello, Andy. Jared, you're not good. Arvo, good morning to you and to you two and everybody. You're not watching footy this year if you're not taking Melbourne seriously now. I mean, they're 10 and 1. They've beaten Western Bulldogs, Sydney, Richmond, Geelong, and the Giants among the number. You just, you're not watching the game this year. Mm. You, you've obviously got prejudices against Melbourne that have been well earned and worn hard by Melbourne supporters over generations. But for here and now, they are, after last night, they are now clearly the team to beat for this year's flag as we sit here early into round 11. Shedding prejudices was a big part of last night. Top of the table clashes on a Friday night does that yep. as the marquee fixture. Exceptional skill level. So the knock on Melbourne for a couple of years, which had been worked on, identified, Mark Williams brought in. The benefits, the results of that was absolutely clear last night. Strategic triumph. They trapped the Bulldogs and they, you said they took their game away. I actually, it was even more canny than that. They sort of lay in wait for them. They knew exactly what the dogs had intended to do. They're magnets, Leper. 
is mm. Harms did go to Liberatore, and in the first 30 seconds, he kicked the opening goal, and you go, oh, okay. So planned, done, and it ran the course of the night. It was, it was a really good day from Simon Goodwin. I was going to say in the box, but he's at ground level, so he's not actually there to, to see it. Right but, yeah, the ability to score seven goals, too, from front-half turnover against the Doggies, they, we saw it very evidently in the first quarter. They set Lever and May up down the line, so you can kick it down to our big, strong tools if you want, or you can have a crack switching the footy, which the Melbourne forwards need to be given a, a lot of credit because what they do without the ball is exceptional, whether it be just the ability to be sharp and on their toes when the doggies have the ball in the half-back line and they're looking to switch. They're, they're, they're just ready to pounce. Um, and then when the ball does go forward, they get up the ground so quickly to fill that corridor. They're one of the best fill corridor defence teams, and it's based off the back of what the work the Melbourne forwards do. So they do a lot of unrewarded stuff that gets the ball turned over and, and played on their terms. So, yeah, they, they set it up beautifully and um, scored off the front half, which then put the doggies on the back foot, didn't it? They've got a lead elite, this Melbourne team. In the history of the Melbourne Football Club, in this team right now, they have got players who, by the end of their careers, will comfortably sit in the pantheon of Melbourne legends alongside the greats of the 50s and the 60s. I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying they're going to win you know, five and six premierships in a sweep, but they've got blokes around the footy. They've got three blokes around the footy, Oliver, Petrarca, Gorn, who are... They're going to be amongst the greatest Melbourne players of all time by the time they're finished. They've got a couple of blokes down back who I can't wait to talk to both you two about, and of course you too, Jerry. but they must loom so large in the eyes of opposition mids. Oh, you must have run into this on a number of occasions, Del, but maybe against Leper's team when yeah. you're in a bit of open space and you look down to one of your forwards and you had good forwards out of the footy, but all you see are these hulking defenders who are always in the wrong spot from well, your perspective. The first part you start with is the midfield. And when I was a youngster, as a lot of guys, and the Dogs had a handful of young guys coming into the game last night, and you look at the opposition mid. So if you, if you transfer that to the early 2000s, it was the Brisbane Lions and it was the West Coast Eagles. Sydney had a different style, and then obviously Geelong and the Hawks, and now the Tigers. But you have no let-up. There's no opportunity to walk to the middle of the ground as an experienced player or a young guy and say... Here's an opportunity here because you walk in there, you've got Max Gorn. So your first challenge is how do you minimise Max Gorn? And if you're a midfielder, you're basically trying to ruck off what Max Gorn can mm. and can't do. He can do everything. Mm. So there's your first challenge. So as a midfielder, you're a little bit more defensive. Then you look at their inside mids and you just name three of them. They all love body work. Now, maybe the one thing that they don't have is that bit of flair, someone that zips through. But Petrarchy can do that if you need him to, knowing that Oliver... Harms when he's in there can do that. Brayshaw can have it. When he comes back they're all the there. Yep. So you think yep. about the pieces of a puzzle in particular that their midfield has. They've got everything you want. Now, they've got everything that you want during the season, but that midfield and the style that they play is built for finals. They are a contested, hard-nosed, big-bodied midfield. That stacks up in September when the game style naturally changes for whatever reason. And you've got to go get your own. No and you have you to go find finals. and you have to yeah. surge it forward. They've got four or five of them that are already doing it. So in your preparation during the week, and they have you know, a week to get ready for this particular game being on a Friday night, you're going down the list so deep until you can try and find, well, what can we do against them? And they've got Bonson, Pally and McRae and Hunter. Like, they've got really good players, the Dogs, last night. But it's hard to see it when you're so under pressure from the very first bounce as they were last night. It was an exceptional performance, but they create so many challenges and they change your style as the opposition because of what they can do. I think they really missed 
um, Dunkley and Trelaw last night. That, that's that's the two evident ones. You know, you, you ha- don't have, as you said, they bat very thick through the midfield Melbourne. So when your rotations aren't there, so Dunkley Trelaw's going in. Um, you've got uh, McNeil playing Butler Garcia, re- relatively unknowns, um, you know, to the game. Yep. Um, so yeah. They're, they're the sorts of players that I think Bevo will be looking forward to go, right, you know, we've got a bit of a homework on what Melbourne do. Let's go to let's go to work on it. Let's see what happens next time we play them. So I'm really interested to see if he makes any changes because one thing that was evidence, they, they didn't want to go long down the line. Now, the doggies have, sort of have that um, handball, flick, flick and explode type of game plan. But if that's not working, do they want to go long down the line to their keys? We see Norton wanting to get more to the half-back line to receive an uncontested mark. Bruce isn't that stand-and-deliver, crash under the footy, just-bring-it-to-ground sort of player uh, either. So they like to get the ball flowing inside their 50. So it'll be interesting to see whether they embrace the contest a little bit more next time they play them. I know it's harder. They don't have that big key forward um, that does that. Um, bring the ball again and maybe create another contest. For the first time last night with the Dogs, I saw uncertainty in their eyes and uncertainty with their actions off the half-back line. And Lepper's spot on. We don't want to kick it long down the line because we know that's not our style, one. But two, we're probably going to get outmarked and we don't want that. So our next option is to switch the football. The Ds entice that. We used to call it like a stalk distance. Let the opposition think that they can kick it and they'll get be able to do that switch, but by the time the ball gets yeah, there, they, yeah. you're either able to intercept market or you can spoil it and away you go. They entice them beautifully last night, the Ds, with that tease distance. Ultimately, when you try and go there, McRae, uh, Bailey Dale had a couple. Like when you've got your good ball users turning it over in the first quarter, 18 turnovers for six goals, two. Six goals, two in the first quarter. It's alarm bells early on. One thing Melbourne's forwards did, we mentioned them getting up the field, but they allowed that backwards kick about 30 metres. So they said to the doggies, OK, you can go backwards inside, uh, you know, almost back to the point of your goal square, almost, and then we'll defend the other side of the ground. So it's really even All the forwards are up in the lo- almost the same line as where the kicker was. They said, go backwards if you want. And we called, used to call it a U-shape back in the old days. So it's almost like a U, you go back and all the way around. They almost enticed that doggies to do that, as you said, and then trapped them here. They're in the other side of the field. Or they turned over that, that mm-hmm. long switch, which they did a few times. So it was a brilliant defensive work there by the Melbourne team. Craig Jennings loves to study a whiteboard. He got a glimpse of the Melbourne whiteboard. And number one was blitz to score or lock inside 50, which mm. uh, he said to say to you, that's a Richmond. It is. Yeah, they, they are Richmond terms. Maybe Choco's had a bit more influence than we think. <laughs> but blitz is basically just pressure at the ball. Um, and cause cause confusion, cause a spillage, cause a stoppage, and then score off that. But they end up scoring off the turnover more so than the stoppage. But, yeah, it was a really successful night for them in that. What we also saw last night was the evidence of what pressure can do to an opposition's ball movement. No, and ball use. And, and ball use. And we, I think I think as an industry, we're still trying to work out offense or defense. What, what comes first yeah. and what trumps the other? Pressure trumped them all last night. I mean, the, the dogs nearly had 400 disposals again, yep. more than the D's had. No, the, number, the, the actual raw statistics don't look if you didn't too know the, bad. Yeah, if you didn't know the score, yes. and the last quarter was a little bit blurred because the numbers blew out a little bit in favour of the dogs with the inside 50s and a few other little stats. But if you didn't know the score, you'd say, oh, this... And maybe the scoreline, as Bevo alluded to, was a little bit more flattering than what it probably should have been, the 28 points. It felt a lot more than that. But the pressure on the football... The pressure that the D's put on the dogs with their own ball movement, they never gave them a chance. From the first 30 seconds when Harms kicks that goal. So that uncertainty you could see in their eyes that you talked about a couple of minutes ago, that, that to my layman's way of thinking, seemed to affect, affect the way they use the footy. Mm. There was some uncharacteristic ball spins off boots and decisions being made by Western Bulldogs players who, who for the most part of this season have been incredibly high skill level players 
and very decisive in mm. terms of what they do when they get it. Is that easily fixed? If Melbourne hit them, if next they play each other in what nine weeks, Round nine 20. rounds. Yep. Uh, if Melbourne come out in the first fifteen minutes and there's a similar feel to the game in terms of what Melbourne are doing, what this is that an easy thing to adjust? I've never been a big believer in being able to flick the switch or just turn it on when you have to and when you don't. Now the Tigers might be a uh, you know the outlier with that because they have had times in different years where they say, okay, now it's time to get serious and we're going to play some big, uh, big games. But I think you can adapt to this. So I'm, not con- I'm not off the dogs. I, I think the no, performance no. that we saw last night doesn't say that the dogs are completely out of contention. I thought they were still okay considering how poor they did play and how many things they did wrong. But can you flip the switch? I just think they had an off night or individuals yeah, had a bit okay. of an off night. That's one of the questions, right? What, yeah. Were they just off? So how much is it to the psychology of footy where the dogs do as they please, have a 111-point win, and they're waltzing it out of the middle. Mm-hmm. Everyone got their lick. While the other team gets beaten by a point, mm. suffers their first defeat of the year, and he can zero right in. Okay, so if you loaf around, this is what it's going to look like. Mm. So what are we going to do about it? Yeah, and St Kilda did loaf around, didn't they, the week prior, and didn't really put much pressure on the ball. So, yeah, it was almost like a training run in, in some respects for the doggies. But I think, I think we've seen it with the Richmond game earlier in the year. They really pressured the doggies up a lot. Any team that has high handballs and not a lot of metres gained from their handball, so... Uh, doggies don't even get half a metre of handball on average. So that's that's from me to you away, Jerry. That's not very far. So, um, you know, whereas you see a Richmond, they're three metres of handball. So every handball has a, a bit of, on average, so you think some are going five then um, on that on that number. So, yeah, they do flick it around a lot, which invites a lot of pressure. It often means that one player can almost tackle two at times if you flick it around too much. So they do play a game style that if you're good, if you're good, if you're on your toes and you're ready to, to hit in and, and play a real aggressive style of football, um, yeah, you can you can get your opportunities. How nice must it be for both Lever and May, A, to have Petty in the team, just another big aerial presence, but also have a Ruckman who's prepared to come back and defend and fill holes the way Max does. So it allows those two to be the intercept ball readers that they're clearly so very good at. And look, it starts, the defensive chain from Melbourne, we spoke about their forwards pushing up through the middle corridor. That allows the mids then to push a little deeper in defence and allows Max Gorn to almost be another long down the line option. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you're Stephen May and Jake Lever, how good's life? You've got Maxi Gorn down there. You've got Harrison Petty probably playing on someone, yep. um, which yep. is awesome, which enables Jake to continue what he does, which is read the play and, and start their turnover chain. But it also means their mids get a, a ground level two and get those ground level balls. So it's a... It is. I think they're a brilliant defensive team at the moment, brilliant systematic team. Um, and, and look, def- defence is two things. There's the system and there's, there's the intent. Yeah. There's the stuff in the, in the small five-metre window and there's the stuff in the you know, 160-metre void that you're looking at. So they're getting both right at the moment. More on the Ds with Angus Brayshaw and then a bit further on the dogs as well. The idea of depth is one thing, but each injury does make you incrementally weaker and there was a critical mass last night. You're listening to Crunch Time for the... Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan dealership stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X 
built tough. And Jared for Red Rooster. Delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster available at selected restaurants. The Rooster's calling. Crunch time this afternoon, or today from the MCG, Jared Waitley, Justin Lepich, Nick Del Santo and Andy Marr with you. There'll be nobody here as there was last night at Marvel to see the Demons with a marvellous win, 28 points over the Bulldogs. Angus Brayshaw is with us. Angus, great to have you on Crunch Time. Yeah, thanks for having me, gents. Uh, I was there calling. I'll never get used to it. I'll never get used to footy in an empty <laughs> stadium. What was it like again to be back playing in those circumstances? Oh, strange. Uh, very, very strange. We had a big focus on keeping our uh, preparation uh, you know, consistent. Obviously, that didn't happen, but, um, you know, still trying to you know, not let it distract us too much, but certainly getting into a, a stadium on a Friday night uh, and having no one there, it's not something that I, don't, I think anyone will be able to get used to. So, um, you know, I think we need to get into it and... It's not as big a big issue, but it's hard. It's hard uh, not playing in front of our fans. We love playing in front of our fans. So, what is the weirdest part of it? Is it weird during the game, or is it the aftermath where you handed masks to sing the song, which I suspect is the image of the weekend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's certainly a new one. I think. Um, I mean, just playing against Adelaide last week, their crowd. I just think that AFL would. You know, it's not it's not the same without crowd. So, uh, you know, there's such a part of the game and you know we've got to kick a couple of goals early and, and you know it's quiet and um, you know, I just think that what they add especially out of the D's crowd um, when we're playing the energy they give us just not having that energy and having to generate it ourselves was, um, was just different and uh, you know I'm, I'm ho- hoping this all gets sorted out so we don't have to deal with it too much more. Gus, before we get into the game, just about that, have you guys had conversations and knowing that you went through it last year with minimal crowds or no crowds at all about ways to generate your own enthusiasm? And like you look at the first passage of play last night when Harms kicks that goal. How do you get that feeling and that excitement in the group to, to try and get a bit of a role and a momentum? It's all about you know, individuals um, taking a bit of ownership and responsibility for, for it because it's, it's very, very easy, you know, be if you're a halfback flanker and Harms and hits a goal just to sort of you know not get over and generate that energy but I think that's something that we, yeah you're absolutely right that we've been focusing on um, and it, it, it starts with all 18 blokes on the field and, and even people on the bench um, you know taking a bit of ownership and, and generating it because you can absolutely hear every single thing that's said on that ground <laughs> when there's no fans there so the you know, if everyone's talking, if everyone's um, as I said, you know, taking a bit of responsibility for it, then it really is infectious. I felt like that was something that we were able to um, do last night. Angus, Justin Lippich here. Good win last night. You did mention the empty crowds and people can hear everything. Well, Jake Lever, his voice uh, was obviously very loud, but one thing, one instruction that was evident coming through was fill the corridor, fill the corridor. It was one thing that was consistently shouted out, and even your forwards do a terrific job at pushing out, we're just talking about filling that corridor, making sure doggies couldn't utilise that fast play through there. Is it something that obviously was a, a big identification coming into the game? Yeah, it was. Um, we got huge respect to the way the doggies play and, uh, you know, it, I mean, having played them even in the um, JLT series uh, in the preseason, um, they, you know, they've got so many good midfielders and can do so much damage if let them, uh, you know, flick the ball around and, and get it through there. So we yeah, absolutely had a big focus on it, and uh, I thought I thought we were able to do it pretty effectively. They were able to switch it a couple of times, but um, you know, that's a compromise we're absolutely willing to make with a team like that. They can um, 
take it around the outside, but as long as they're not getting it inside and we can um, you know, keep our defensive structure, which we were able to do, then you know, we, we felt like we um, gave ourselves a chance to stop them scoring. And you did that well yourself a few times, stopping that sort of that long, fat side switch. Your role now, it's obviously a little different to when you come into Melbourne many years ago. You're more playing that wing, but at times we saw your, your body against Bont at times. Can you, is, is the wing role your number one now, that low possession, get back and forward sort of guy? Or will you spend some time throughout the uh, centre square at times? Uh, look, I, uh, I'm happy to do whatever the team needs. Um, the team needs a winger at this point. Um, so that's that's my role, and I think that's the attitude, that team at first attitude has been permeating our group probably more this year than any other year that I've been here. So there's blokes that are willing to play roles, and you know, I'm, I'm, you're right, I probably wasn't drafted as a winger, that's not my natural position, but um, buying into that team uh, attitude, doing what's best for the team, I think is going to um, hold us in good stead. Uh, you know, you can look all over the ground for the blokes um, driving that team first attitude. So. Uh, you know, as, as far as roles go, um, whatever the team needs, what um, you know, each, each player is going to give. We did see on numerous occasions you were pitted against Bontempelli, either by design or chance. Which one was it? Did you have a little bit of responsibility for him? Uh, no, complete chance. Uh, you know, their mids are probably getting a bit creative and spinning around. I mean, they've got so many guys that they can sort of, uh, you know, try a few different things. And uh, I guess Bond was just out on uh, my side. Maybe he was a forward or something, and I was about it, just defending that outlet. But, um, yeah, complete chance. Uh, but, yeah, you know, even as a winger, you think conventional role of a winger is, you, you know, you think running and um, accumulating the ball. But for us, um, and, and part of our team defence, we play a huge role in locking it in. Often those outlet kicks are coming out, um and you're the, you're the one there. It's your role to stop them. So some aerial contests I was, I was pleased with last night, and certainly against Montpellier, you know, a complete freak. So um, it was good to be able to execute that, and I feel like um, on a whole, like Ed Lang's been doing it all year as well. So um, that's something that I think our, our wing, wing department has um, really been excelling at of late. Gus, what was the most pleasing thing out of last night when so many things went well and you speak about the attack and the ability for you guys to turn the ball over and score off it, the team defence and minimising the dog sitters' 59 points. When you walk away from the game last night and Goody has a chat to you, what were the things that were raised that was a massive pat on the back? Well, look, I think last week was really disappointing in terms of, uh, you know, we've been working hard to build a, a brand that, we can sort of rock up and every week, you know, we'll defend the same way and we'll, um, you know, our contest will be the same and uh, we'll move the ball the same way. We weren't able to do that against Adelaide. I felt like we played their game. So um, that's probably a, a good test of our maturity to really, you know, I think the doggies are the benchmark in the competition and are also a benchmark in um, a lot of the stats that we really value as a team. So it was a great test for us to be able to, um, you know, come back to what we've essentially been training. So you look at, you can look at any one piece of the game. Obviously, uh, we defended well. I, I feel like we matched them and probably beat them in the contest. I'm not sure what the numbers were, but I feel like if you look at anything in isolation, it, it was a good result. I, I'm probably looking at the bigger picture and really loving where our group's at from a maturity standpoint at the moment. And, um, you know, it was, a, it was a huge game for us in terms of benchmarking ourselves against the best in the competition. And I think um, a, a lot of maturity was shown and a hope of adversity throughout the week. You know, blokes' routines all over the place, so... Um, I was really impressed with how uh, we responded after a tough week.
One of the things I loved hearing last night was Stephen May speaking post-game about guys buying into the team defence. And he said, even Christian Matraka has to be a part of that now. <laughs> Is that a, a sort of feel of the group that even though blokes have individual um, abilities and things and characteristics that they can do, that there's also non-negotiables and we don't care who you are, you have to be a part of the team defence, as Stephen May said? Yeah, well, absolutely. I think, you know, clues in the title, team defence takes, you know, the whole team and, uh, you know, Track's name's thrown up there. I thought he was brilliant last night. He's, um, he's such a dynamic player and a dynamic defender. He can... His athleticism makes him an absolute uh, weapon for us on defence. And I feel like... You know, look all over the, all over the ground. Ed Langdon's, you know, close out and chase down tackles sort of stuff is incredible. Um, up forward, you know, Sparks, Cozzy, Nibla, their speed is um, really putting pressure on. Um, you know... Maisie and Lever get a lot of recognition for their work, but they organise and marshal the whole ground from behind. So everyone's got a role, and everyone's buying into it. So I, I think um, Maisie summed it up really well last night, and uh, he, I guess he, he and Jake are really driving that from a defensive point of view. Angus, uh, Andy Mark, late to the introduction, well played last night. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, hope, mate. Hope the, hope the onions are going okay. <laughs> oh, Tom, don't bring it up. Don't no, bring it up. Bring it up. Sorry to mention it. T- Tom McDonald, you've been, you've been a teammate of his for a long time, and, and his story's well told now. What, what, what did you see him um, go through in that kind of limbo state he found himself in between seasons? And how is he different, if he is different at all, coming, coming out of that? Yeah, look, it's a, I uh, can only imagine how, having never been in that situation myself, how hard it would be. Uh, you know, players are, we like, we've got a really close, tight-knit group um, of players, and Tom's a massive part of that. And to essentially, you know, last year, obviously, you're right, story's been well chronicled, to be told to find another opportunity and then have that fall through. I mean, I think uh, what I loved about how he responded to it was he took ownership over his own situation and, um, you know, he's gone out and he, he said he set a few goals for himself publicly to the to the playing group and to the coaching group and uh, was, has been absolutely true to his word and has lost to be the way it has, you know, changed his diet up. And, uh, look, I think back to 2018 as well back, he was a, he kicked 50-odd goals and was yeah. a, delivering these sorts of performances. So I'm, I'm not at all surprised uh, and I just think that he's had an opportunity. So he's, he's gone away, he's been true to his word, he's improved in the areas he said he was going to, and then when this opportunity's popped up for him, he's grabbed it, been able to grab it with both hands, and I think um, remind people of what he's capable of. So I'm uh, I'm real proud of the way he's sort of responded. Obviously, the adversity, and unless you've gone through it, I don't think you can truly understand how difficult what he went through was from a mental point of view, mental perspective. Um, but geez, I've uh, I've been super impressed, and you know. You, He's he's really been leading the way in our forward line of the, of the forwards. He's probably the pick of the bunch, the, the key forwards in particular. So, um, you know, when he's when he's up and going, we're a better team. Anyone else jumping on the keto diet? Has this become a bit of a kind of anyone else <laughs> not following sure. the lead? Weedo, Weedo's keen. I think uh, <laughs> right. going around that between uh, key forwards, Benny Brown's a, a vegan, and um, Tommy Max a carnivore. We've got actually a pretty balanced diet with when you combine them all, which is pretty fun. <laughs> Hey, Angus, uh, we were here in the first game against Fremantle and it was really evident that day your team defence stuff was there that day. You're working hard defensively, but the ball was hitting the deck a lot. We had a few out in the fourth. I think there were probably six or seven in the day. But what we see right now is a, 
a really off- offensively efficient Melbourne footy team. Take us through. We often talk about his kicking the most important thing. I know Choco's there, but is it a combination of just the skills you work on? I'm, I'm sure in 10 weeks it, it wouldn't have been just from training. Or is it just now the confidence of knowing that if we defend well, we'll give us lots of opportunities, so that takes the pressure off? What is the, the thing, that elusive thing we're trying to look for to unlock that kicking skill or that, that efficient possession skill? I think there's probably two parts to it. The first part is, um, you know, the players really buying into being excellent in, you know, the kicking, you know, execution stuff. Uh, the second part probably is the, the reason the, the driving force behind all of that is um, Choco Williams who sort of touched on him briefly. I don't think um, he can be under the impact he has had on us can be understated um, since the second he's walked into the club. Uh, you know, has, he's been super consistent in driving a ridiculously high standards. There's no way anyone's ever going <laughs> to meet Choco Williams' standards. It's impossible. I'm, I'm uh, I think his constant and unrelenting pursuit of kicking perfection has, um, I think, probably the best way to describe it. Like we, uh, our attitude towards it has changed now uh, as a group, um, and our confidence has, I think grown off the back of um, you know the work he's been doing with us and I think he, he, his attitude is infectious and it, you know if anyone's got any problem with Choco um, you understand what I mean he, he's so passionate and cares so much um, and he's always thinking about ways for us to be perfect kicks and obviously as I said you know, no one's ever going to have a perfect you know we're never going to be 100% kicking efficiency but it, pursuing that um, the way Choco's been driving it um, is, is going to I think has shown improvement in us. So, um, yeah, I, I couldn't you know, give him more of a rap if I tried. I think he's been really... Is he still yelling out odd random things from the from the bench as well? And, 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 and if he does, what has he yelled out that's, that time's completely opposite to the game plan? Is he, can you shed some light into anything he's yelled out where you thought, oh, I don't yeah. think that's the right thing, Chocker? <laughs> he told me once, no one cares how you defend if you have... 40 touches and kick a few snags. Um, <laughs> yeah, like and true. <laughs> and true. Hey, just a, quick, just a quick one, Gus, before we let you go. You talk about the emphasis you put on kicking. Are you physically doing more training or specialist kicking drills or, or more craft work with the skills to have this sharp improvement in, in your disposal efficiency as a team? Yeah, both. Both are true. We, you know, train it... Um, out that when we're actually on our uh, main training days, we do more kicking in, in training, and then also on the craft side of things, away away from main training, uh, we're we're doing a heap more in that space as well. And as I sort of touched on, both have been really, really driven strongly by Choco, and um, he's thinking up new drills all the time. They don't always work, but um, they're always you know keeping you on your toes, and thinking, and um, you know the, the focus being you got to execute kicks under all sorts of different pressure. Um, different situations, and I think that really translates well to a game when you know you've got you know someone chasing you from behind or someone's coming at you from the left or the right, and you've got to be able to get an excellent kick off. And I think um, you know the work that he's doing at, uh, in training and the craft sessions we do is um, setting us up for that. Angus, terrific. Have you got a bag packed by the door? Are you waiting for the phone to ping? <laughs> what, what happens next? Well, we finished our team meeting after the game and. Um, Daniel McPherson, our manager, general manager of footy, sort of said, boys, we've got absolutely no idea what's going on. So, uh, you know, just stay ready um, and we'll let you know when we know something is essentially where we've been left up. But 
Uh, I look, honestly, that we've sort of had the same sort of feeling before the game, whether the game was going to go a little bit or we're going to get positive tests or who knows what was going to happen. I feel like as a group, um, we really you know, didn't let that distract us at all. And um, I feel like no matter what happens um, in the coming days and, and weeks, we're uh, in a really good mental space to you know, not, not let any of this stuff impact the way we play, the way we prepare mentally is um, going to be super consistent. So, look, it's um, it's all up in the air, isn't it? But, yes. um, you know, as long as we keep winning games, then I, I, I don't really mind. We'll see you next Friday night somewhere, somewhere. Good luck. Cheers, guys. Thanks for the chat. Good on you. Angus Brayshaw with us on Crunch Time. We'll circle back through Mark Williams shortly. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan dealership. They stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X, built tough. And for Red Rooster's new crunchy fried chicken, available at selected restaurants. So following on from our chat with Angus Brayshaw, so Mark Williams, gloriously eccentric, quite mad, somewhere in the middle. An industry sort of moves past an elder who has had extreme success and then he gets brought back into a fold for something really specific something that he believes footballers should be obsessive about. And then we watch as the cornerstone of a turnaround in a club, which was their skill failures from the past two years to their excellence that they're striving for this year. So you've worked with, mm. um, you've worked with Mark Williams, Lepper, Dal. There are great war stories around dealing with Mark Williams in the past. <laughs> what were your observations of him up close? Oh, what Angus said was spot on. He would, very random times, say very random things. Players coming on the ground, like you're kicking two goals or you're not coming off. Like just stuff like that. He's got that, he's got that nature to him. Uh, he's so passionate about the skill development component of the sport. Um, so he, and he's always had that. He's got his own footballs out. He's, he's always been a leader in that space. So, um, I guess the question you ask is the coach, the role of the coach in the last 20 years in our game has gone completely different. It was, you could almost argue there's only a handful of teams that had a couple of assistant coaches 20-odd years ago and they were just starting to come in vogue. I think it was 1999 was when Brisbane had three that, that came in. So it hasn't been that long. So is he still a development coach or is he a, a, a senior coach? That, that is the big question which I go, which is his right spot? Because there's so many roles in footy now to, to pick where you are. I just put my, my player's hat on there for a moment and listening to Gus. And if I was a young player and even going back four or five years ago when I finished, if I knew that you could do more skill acquisition work more craft is what they call, which is low-level intensity in regards to not a lot of um, work on your legs, but it's about your speed of your ball movement. I would do that all day, every day. Mm. That, that is, that's what excites me, I think, as a player. The, the beauty of the game is you get to actually touch the footballs as much as you can at training. I would absolutely love that. I, I don't know where it sits with the modern coach in regards to Choco. And as important as the senior coach is, and clearly that's... You, you mean know, the repetitive ball? I would love yeah, to do yeah, it all day. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you think about as a youngster, and I was in the park this morning with, with my three kids because we missed out on Auskick. All they want to do is kick the football. Mm. I mean, that's the fun part of football, you know, outside of the team atmosphere. So if you said, hey, you get to do this all day, every day, yes, please. I, I would like to think that most players have that obsession and that enjoyment still that they still want to kick the football as much as they can. But just thinking about your point about... If Choco's not a senior coach, what is the best role for him? And maybe it is that development title, but it's the hands-on. And I think we're sometimes going away from hands-on coaching, that a lot of it's via laptop and footage and yeah. team meetings. 
more hands-on stuff. I, th- I think that's what we love about it, isn't I think, it? I think that's it is a concern um, in the, the new world of football, particularly in coaching. A, a young coach coming in, that the number one thing you've got to do is get with your players and make them better players. That, that is never going to change. Clubs have to probably ask themselves the question: Have we got too much, too many people in the match committee room putting together a game plan, or and not enough people out on the deck, or are we supplying those opportunities for our players? Um, to do that because often that's the difference in games, isn't it? We've got a strategy. Every team's got a strategy, but it's often Dusty who fended off someone who snapped a goal was the difference in the game. Well, mm. that's development. And that's what, skill and, development. And what sort of personal influence and impact did uh, Mark Williams have on Dustin Martin? Well, yeah. Was it, it, was it a significant one? Because the story's sort of been told and, you know, you've heard versions of it. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, he was a pick three, so he could play. Yeah, so, could so play. Yeah, you know, yeah, it, it yeah. wasn't like he was taking someone from oblivion, no, bringing them all the way through. But, of course, I mean, um, he spent a lot of one-on-one time with Dustin, as he did a lot of players. Yeah. I, I went back to Richmond and and Choc, the year Choco left, and I left the Lions. And Dan Butler and Jason Castagna loved him. I mean, they're the untold stories because yeah, he spent course, yeah. the time with them, you know, in, in those rooms. But no one will hear that. Everyone will hear the Dusty story. But he, he did a lot of work with a lot of young kids as well. So, yeah. Do you, do you think, and we are in a copycat league still, and it might have changed a tiny bit. Do you think that brief chat that we just had with Gus Brayshaw and what we've seen for the first 11 weeks with the Ds may say to a lot of other clubs, hey, I know we value athletes. I know we value running, and I know we value game plan. Let's put more emphasis, more resources into skill acquisition. That when we get the football, let's try and keep the thing, Andy. If you're a footy club that's stuck... You're stuck and you can't get yourself where you want to go. You can't get out of the mire that you've found yourself in. Don't just keep doing what don't keep doing what everyone else is doing. Don't you're not going to get out of it by making safe calls. The question is, could Mark Williams still be a senior coach at AFL level? Still fills a room, knows how to coach, players love him, has runs on the board, knows how to do the job. The problem is, is a club courageous enough? to break the mould. And that's what it would take now. Is that the only thing holding Choco back? Is the yeah, risk or the board, perception of... Boards, yeah, boards. Of course it is. Because if it goes wrong with Mark Williams, it goes spectacularly wrong. The payoff, if it goes right, I suspect, is, is inverse to that. Mm. If you get another level four in who's ticked all the boxes and done this and done that and it doesn't quite work, well, you do your five years and no one's really going to hold you. Well, he was the next best. He was the next cab off the rank and... This is where boards... There's a lot of boards out there who... Uh, would This would take enormous courage to see through the fear of failure and what might visit itself upon the footy club if it goes wrong from a commentary perspective and a coverage perspective with someone like Mark. But he can still coach. There'd be, there'd be a lot of goodwill to it. it the question is, is he, is he just too eccentric to be... The mod to be this day and age as head coach, has he actually found the right role? So, Colin would have added a skill session to their week because they can't kick the ball from here to there mm. and it's undermining everything they tried to do, which you graphically demonstrated for us, Lepper, on Tuesday. So, you need the right person to be able to guide that. We've got a very powerful case study building that Mark Williams is the right person for that. Mm. Can you be quite mad in this day and age with this generation of so to hear Angus Brayshaw? It's a hint towards yes, but there is that element of no one cares how you defend if you get 40 <laughs> plus. So you've got line. to balance yeah, yeah, the two. Yeah. Of course you do. The, yeah, the, other, yeah, the yeah. other part of the question is, hearing everything we've just heard about Choco Williams, how he loves to be hands-on, maybe a senior coach isn't what he wants to be anymore because he doesn't get to be the hands-on mm. I think he relationship. Would be. You reckon he to, could do to that? To have heard him, I think he would be. I think in his soul, he believes he's every inch 
a senior coach. Yeah, I think it's hard to get out of there. So once they've got it, though. Yeah. Yeah. And look, and then it's what style of senior coach? Because does he want to be a senior coach? That's development-wise. Then who does he need to put around him? Well, that's what you does do. He then, right? Does yeah. then he just yeah. then become? Oh, I'm, I'm a senior coach, but basically a development. I want strategists around me, but I really my core is focusing on skill development. That would be a, a change because most mm. of like I've got a very smart man that's a a good communicator and good empathy-wise and all that sort of thing. But I'll put some uh, some other stuff around me, some skill development around me, and some of those other th- things that we don't really rate. Almost it's almost like we're picking empathy, compassion, and and then strategy over potentially just someone who can actually mix it with you on the training track. Mm. In our countdown of the most memorable moments in footy history for Furphy, refreshing ale, unbelievable. Mark Williams has a few of those. I can think <laughs> of a certain tie. <laughs> See where he did it as we look down on the MCG right now. Furphy, yes. refreshing ale, unbelievable. Thanks for reminding me, Jerry. This is the round 11 edition of Crunch Time at the MCG. It's an overcast day in Melbourne. There'll be nobody in to see it when Collingwood and Geelong go at it. Just as was the case in an abandoned Marvel Stadium last night, when Melbourne won the top-of-the-table clash powerfully against the Western Bulldogs. Crunch time is for Western Werribee Auto Group. Make the smart move at Werribee Haval to buy test driving the new H6. That's because Melbourne is in lockdown is why the stands will be empty. There's a... There are long queues today to get the vaccine. There are huge numbers who have submitted for testing the seven-day lockdown, which has caused all manner of disruption in footy. So the priority this weekend was to stage these nine games and then figure out in the aftermath what happens next. So what does happen next? Jared Waitley, Andy Marr, Justin Lepich and Nick Del Santo with you on Crunch Time. These were the two coaches last night, Luke Beveridge and Simon Goodwin, trying to forecast their dates for round 12. We've got a bit in front of us. Uh, we just found out we've got to fly to Perth on uh, on Sunday and stay there for a week. So we've got to process it really quickly and, um, and move on. We'll, uh, we'll stay at a hotel and uh, we'll operate out of there. We will train, it appears, as, uh, around Optus Stadium and be able to access a gym there. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. We'll be tested when we get there. Uh, spend the seven days, play Fremantle and fly out on the Sunday uh, after we play them. Are you definitely going to be in Melbourne for the rest of the weekend, Simon? Do you know that for sure? Or I have no idea, Pete. Um, all we've been told is just be prepared for anything. So um, I'm sure I'll wake up tomorrow with some messages on my phone about what's going on. Last night's coaches. So the Bulldogs are bound for Perth. They will play in the same circumstances that Collingwood played the elimination final last year. They fly tomorrow into quarantine. They'll play the Sunday fixture against Fremantle and then come home with their bye in the aftermath. Melbourne sit and wait. Is I don't think there's any chance that uh, the top end will host Friday night's game between Melbourne and the Brisbane Lions. If you were doing a little bit of forecasting, you'd say the likelihood is there'd be no footy matches in Melbourne next weekend. They won't stage more games in front of empty stands and really the AFL's not going to know until sort of Thursday or Friday, what mm. the possibilities are. And that marries up with a bit of information you're hearing, Yeah, Andy. so just unsubstantiated at this stage, but we're hearing that Carlton's going to be um, staying in Sydney after its game at the SCG tomorrow. Uh, and it's round 12 opponent. The West Coast Eagles will travel to Sydney to play Carlton. So that that's to be confirmed, obviously. But uh, it is, uh, it is a, a, a suggestion that does make sense, given, I think, I think the keenness for everybody to get footy out of this state 
until we can get people back into grounds. And your gut feeling, Leper, is that Richmond will head yeah. west? They've got uh, head west to play Essendon and then st- stick around to play that Eagles game. It's interesting. They've got a buy in between the Essendon game and the Eagles game. So it's whether they keep the buy in there and all those sorts of things. But, yeah, I heard that from a Richmond perspective, it was packed for a few weeks and see what happens. So the, the likelihood is they'll, they'll head to Perth from this game do and you, stick around. Do you think players coaches and staff are better equipped knowing that they went through it last year or they scarred from last year ending that's actually they have to be better it's both yeah yeah of course it is it's both but we i think well we know nothing but we think this is short term i don't think anybody's of the view that this is going to be as it as it will be for the rest of the year so i think there's some comfort that can be taken from the fact that i think we can be you know as as um um, as certain as anything in, in this day and age, that this won't be a long-term carryover. That's, mm. So that's something. For those who do carry scars from last year and didn't enjoy it and it did affect them negatively and they didn't handle it well, I think it can push through for... I wonder whether clubs, if there are players who, who they now know didn't react well to it at all, they had a really bad response to it, whether there might be some management of players, if it is a two or three week reality, for whatever the for whatever the personal reasons that the players, the individual players didn't, I wonder whether that now, with a bit of hindsight and a bit of form, um, you 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 adjust to that. Yeah, leave them at yeah, home. I, well, I don't, don't think the two or three weeks is an issue. It's just, be, it's just it. no, three it months has been the only thing in the back of the mind. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, I think a three week holiday this time of the year. I'd actually like one myself, Jared, <laughs> to be honest. We might head to Perth for a little bit, catch some sun, go to the beach. Saints are trying to get back to Noosa. Yeah. Yes, it's, um... The AFL's guiding principle has been to try to play the fixture as it presents mm. with the variations in venues and the slight change in time slots because it's not quite as simple 10 rounds in to adjust your fixture as it is after one round last no, year. So no. they could flip everything on the fly and that was incredibly complicated and convoluted, but it's much more difficult. It was interesting to hear. So Gil was asked, Does the, do the buys help you? And he sort of said, not nearly as much as you'd imagine. Mm. Mm. Um, and there might be slight flexibility. So in the scenario you've depicted, Leper, is the Eagles and the Tigers both have their buy in round 13. So do you actually just slide their game forward by a week and give them the buy in round 14? Mm. So limit Richmond's idle time in Perth. That's sort of neat enough. Do you replace a game in round 14 or do you go one short? But just to add that fixture in so that you're not hanging around forever. Go and play Dreamtime in Perth in front of potentially a, a full house or as many as they're allowed yeah, at the yeah, moment yeah, yeah. and then back up the following week against West Coast and, and slide the bye one week down the track. Yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? Um, geez, I wonder if the AFL talked to the government. <laughs> so, come on, come on, come on, guys. Help us out a little bit here. You know, we're in this situation again. We've got a beautiful venue here today. There's no one in it. We watched the games last night. It's hard with atmosphere, isn't it? Even watching through the TV, it's really difficult with the fake cheering as the ball's going through the goals and so on and so forth. So uh, it's just a shame that we've got to this point again. But the, the beauty is the AFL have been through it before and they understand it. The, the way they got through last year was amazing. I don't know how... The, the guy that's working at the fixture, he needs a pay rise, mm. that dude, because he is amazing, a female possibly. But, um, yeah, it's just the ability to work all the machinations out and, and get it done, it's a, it's a great effort. Well, governments are juggling things with sport. It's not just the sporting organisation looking at the government. It's a bit the other way around as well. I mean, outside of the, our AFL focus... You know, in a week and a half's time, there's a state of origin game that's going to be supposed to be played here. And 
you know, from an events perspective and a tourism perspective and a status perspective, of course Melbourne would love to hang on to that. But there'll be a day, you, you may know, there may be, we spoke to Martin Pakula yesterday. Yeah, about I heard that. that. There'll it's, be a day where they have to make a call, yeah, won't That's they? bound for Townsville. It has to go somewhere else, yeah. I think. It can't it, possibly you just can't it. take the risk. The idea that Melbourne will come, or Victoria will come out of lockdown and the next day will return to 85% crowds. Yeah, I mean, you're dreaming if yeah, you think that's yeah, the yeah, case. Even yeah. if Melbourne comes out of lockdown, I suspect next weekend there are no crowds. Yeah. And then there'll be a, a progressive, particularly because two games on Sunday became exposure sites yeah. with 20,000 plus fans in them. So uh, they, they, it will be a progressive return yeah. rather yeah. than, a, okay, yeah. we can all go back to the footy immediately. Yeah. And yeah. the, the, there are 20, um, what are there, 18 games to be played across 21 days. So there's, while they don't want to um, adjust the matchups, there is a, there are little sliding mechanisms I think that you could use to get through this phase where everybody's not out of Victoria at the same time, but enough are out. So St Kilda would go and play Sydney elsewhere mm. next weekend, mm. um, probably in... Sydney, mm. but the likelihood of the Swans coming to Melbourne to play St Kilda, I think, is is minute. Mm. Is the buy pre-finals usable? Is that is that does that give them that an, an extra seven days of flexibility that can be worthwhile, or is it? It, it is uh, notionally, but it, it was interesting to hear that the, the the players and the coaches need the week off now, and I think the AFL will maintain that they're going to need the breather heading into the finals in the way that they yeah. like to do it because it's, it's going to be punishing and exhausting, uh, and this phase will make it even more so rather than, than less so. How do a couple of old-timers feel about the need for a buy? Oh, you need it. Yep. There's, no, yep. there's no doubt about that. And the players sort of... I mean, if you ask the players, they'd probably want two of them throughout, yeah. throughout yep. the season. So yeah, you've got to do that. You can't bring it forward. The players will need a week off in the next three weeks, there's no doubt. And the other thing the AFL have proven to do... I think last year we all proved it. Does it really matter if the grand final is not the last week in mm. September in, in, this, in the, where yep. we're at in society at the moment with its pushed back a week or even two? I, I, think, that's, you know, I think that's possibly the worst-case scenario, aren't we? We, mm. we, we? We've already proven, I think, that we can get through COVID. We've had snap lockdowns that actually work. Mm. I think there's enough evidence to suggest what we're doing. This, this shouldn't last longer than a, a couple of weeks, really, so it shouldn't affect the season too much. As a player, I loved the two buys during the year, yeah. and that's excluding the one leading into finals. I felt that was the best breakup for you to be able to perform at your very best for as long as you possibly could. And I think also what we learn off the back of last year is the players are the most agile out of all of us. Mm. I mean, their whole life is based on challenges and unpredictability and no schedule in regards to week to week, depending on, you know, six-day break, five-day break, seven, eight. Like, they're the ones that adjust mm. the best, both physically and mentally. So, uh, you know, you, you quickly think, well, who does this suit, if anybody, the next two to three weeks? And you think, well, the teams that are still in contention are playing really good football. They're still really focused. Yep, yep. Compared to Energy last year, yeah, compared yeah, to last year, it was yeah. round one. We had that massive break and then they're drip feeding through until ultimately a hub. But you also think about the mature teams, yeah, the, the teams that have got really good leadership that are just uncompromising any time, anywhere. This is just who we are and what we do. So as, as, as everybody is put out, I, I still think the players are the ones that just adapt mm. the quickest, more than anybody else probably in the industry. 
Yeah, and I think the older players, um, you're talking about going back to the boys, the older players love them. In fact, the older you are, the more boys you want. So <laughs> if there was a buy every three weeks, I'd still be playing, I reckon. Um, and playing well, I reckon. Possi- possibly. You need Because you need about, well, the end of your career, seven days wasn't enough to recover. Yeah, so true. if you kept branching it out, Jared, you, who knows? You might buy us 45 for more Tom Brady stories. Here's Damien Hardwick, the Richmond coach, a short time ago. The Tigers are in Sydney. and He's asked, does he know what happens next? No, we don't at this stage. We've got bags packed, but look, there's an expectation we could be anywhere. So once again, we'll just deal with what we know right now. And that's we're playing Adelaide tomorrow. And then we'll, uh, we'll worry about that when the AFL come back to us, possibly on Sunday night. There's other people dealing with that side of the equation. I just deal with you know, what I can control with our players and our, our assistant coaches and just make sure we get our performance on track. And we'll worry about the... Yeah, the logistics later on. So, you know, we just firmly worry about what we can control right here, right now. And, and the AFL will let us know in due course. I'm sure they're working through it. So th- these are a couple of big weeks for mm. Richmond and for Damien Hardwick. These are the two games that they simply must pick off. Yeah. They were scheduled for the MCG. They won't be here. So Adelaide and Essendon. And sh- were they to drop either, the maths become really challenging. Yeah, absolutely. I bet you Dimmer's liking Eddie had now. <laughs> yeah. He's had to choose between going to Canberra and then two weeks at Perth. I reckon all of a sudden Eddie Head's looking like a pretty good option. But, um, yeah, it does. It doesn't help them with their winning chances, obviously, and they, they play well on this venue. They would have loved to have had dream time on this venue as well. Um, so, yeah, it, it would have. it's massive. Um, it's, a, it's a massive loss I for them. I don't think we're on. Are we back? Okay. Well, oh, the wow. other part for the Tigers, Jerry, that needs to be mentioned is they're starting to get some of their players back and some of their better players yes. that will start getting drip-fed back in. And then ultimately, hopefully, after the back of the bye, in a few weeks' time, they should have almost a full squad probably outside of Tom Lynch. So, so Lynch drops out and mm. they get the three really significant players back in around the footy in the middle yep. of that. Are you expecting an immediate... Like, when we watch them tomorrow, do we expect an immediate difference about Richmond in terms of... Yeah, what they do, in, you know, the, the classic Richmond we've seen in the last four or five years, it's sort of overpowering, forcing forward, the momentum they generate just with, you know, the way they play. Get those three, does it make a massive difference straight away? Well, each each in's a little different. So if you talk about a Shea Bolton, he's only missed two weeks. It's yeah. a hand injury. He can still do some running. He'll be okay. Uh, Dion Prestia, that's a long time yes. out. Trent Cotchin's the next level again. That's been out for a while. That often takes a while, as you said, to get that right. Then you've got a Callum Coleman-Jones who hasn't just played much footy, full stop. So I think Shea Bolton's the only one that comes in where you're not too worried about his prep leading in to the particular game. So, yeah, and the one thing about the Tigers, although they've, they've lost and they've had matches where they haven't played great footy, if they haven't had a bad emotional loss, if that makes sense. If you go to Canberra and lose to an Adelaide team that you should beat, that's probably it, isn't it? Mm. You start to think, oh, that's a team that's really in the bottom six, seven, eight in the competition. It's not, it's not a really good team that we just we had should a be bad putting, night. We should be putting we them should away. We should be putting yeah. them away. Yeah. That yeah. should be stock, you know. Yeah. So that, that would be the one for me if they, if they go there and drop this game. Then it, then it starts to become a bit of a worry emotionally that you're starting to lose games you, you should really just win. I'm probably not expecting them to click back to what they have been in years gone by just yet. Mm-hmm. I'm expecting a workmanlike performance that yeah. they might have to dig in and it, against anybody. That, it's, it's a really good way to put it, the emotional feeling because they've played some okay games mm. and lost against good teams. They've played some okay games and got the job done. And you go back a few weeks where they beat the Giants. 
in a game where looked everything looked like yeah. it was you know yeah. too hard for them on that particular day. So I expect them to win, but it may not be in the Richmond style that we've come to know for the last four or five years. So just talk us through how big a loss Lynch is for five to six weeks. Yeah, one thing he does provide, um, if anything, we spoke earlier about that long down the line target, the ability to bring the ball to ground first and then mark it second. Lynchy does that pretty well. And when you're over 200 centimetres, you can do that. Callum Coleman-Jones should be able to do that role. Does he have the experience um, of Lynch? No. Um, Is he going to be aware of positioning as much as Lynch? No, because... When you're new to a team, it is take, does take a while, you know, to get every part of your game perfect. And it's going to take a while for CJ just to be in the right spot all the time at the right time. Um, and then the second part is being strong enough to bring it to ground, which I think he can do that. All right, that'll be what they'll be asking for. And then anything on top of that is, is cream. So, yeah, it, it, look, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to him doing it. His name's been spoken about a lot in the last mm. few years of being out there and doing it. He now gets his chance for at least a month. So um, I hope he does it well. And this is the idea of depth as... And I think the Bulldogs were sort of front and centre last night. Yes, there is the idea that they are picking from a big group of players, but you are incrementally weaker once Dunkley is replaced. And the next bloke in is he's okay, but he's not quite as good. And Trelaw goes out. And Steph Martin goes out. And Sweet doesn't quite measure up in a big game last night. So, you, yes, is a broad pool to pick from, but you become a lighter version of your best self as these injuries amass. Jared, you're starting to picture the next man up mentality that we all use as coaches just to, <laughs> uh, just to make everyone feel better about themselves. But you're right, some roles that there is a next man up mentality. It might be an, not an easier role, but requires less talent. It might be a, a wing role where you're required to run up and down and compete every now and again. But if you're replacing Dustin Martin, well, that's a little bit of a skill-based role. You know, you've got to be able to win the clearance fend off, get out, and then go forward and also score. Well, that's a very low percentage of the population that can do that. So, yeah, you can't replace Dusty in that role, but you can, there are some roles that are more replaceable than others. Can I ask you just off the back of that, where a high-pressure forward sits in regards to a less skill-based role opposed to just an effort-based role and a role player? Where yes. do they sit in the scheme of a, a Richmond model? I see that as an effort-based role um, more so. And, and, and it's, it's as much a compliance role if you want to give it a... A stricter title, um, and just and, and doing the stuff that people don't like doing. <laughs> That's mm. probably the easiest way to put it. Um, you got to run up the ground, almost a halfback chase, and then you know when you win it back, we got to you want to belt another hundred meters back to goal, and you may not even win it because Tom Hawkins has just marked it. So well done, you run two hundred meters and done nothing, and no one's seen it. So, but if you, without that, um, the opposition could switch the ball, they could score themselves. So you, you are really the gatekeeper between the opposition scoring and you potentially getting on the end, maybe, but. That's why it's so important you reward those roles throughout the week. You have to have times where those players get highlighted, that runs highlighted, because no one in the crowd sees it. All they see is, geez, he had eight touches today. That's not mm. very good. So um, you have to reward that stuff internally. You, you were talking about the light, that point you made just then about the lighter version of yourself. Before we come in here, you were talking about decisions that have been made by the selection committee, and predominantly the coach at the Western Bulldogs, about what they're doing from a selection perspective. And they went in young last night. They did, but they didn't have to go in that young last yeah. night. So it's a, it's a choice to be made. And Luke Beveridge has always erred on the choice to be younger and less experienced. And it's a really interesting choice last night in the top of the table clash. Mm. So I, So we don't know, I don't know the specific reason why Mitch Wallace can't force his way back other than Luke Beveridge was clear that his role is redundant. But come, that was round two yep. that he told us that um, after they'd played on the, the Friday night. 
by round 11, I'm grappling with the... Surely Mitch Wallace in that environment last night is a better choice than five other blokes who took the field because of his experience, because of his size, because of his strength, because of his football intellect and because of his accrued experience. So I want that in my side mm, last mm. night just to give me a stiffer edge once, once Melbourne get hold of you in those first few minutes. So I find that a curiosity, mm. but I haven't. I don't have never sat in these meetings or in that box or held those magnets. Yeah. Up. So the way they would have looked at it probably is that you know Mitch Wallace last season was doing a good job as that medium forward. He was kicking maybe three or four goals potentially really well. for about seven possessions. He, that was sort of which is unlike him and not what he came into the game for. That's that's for sure as an inside mid. But they they bring Steph Martin in in the off season. They decide to play an extra ruck, play English more forward. You've already got Norton down there. Um, run around kicking goals. Uh, Bruce. Bruce is down there as well. So they're thinking, well, that role now, that medium forward role is redundant. So I can see that. I can see why that happened. The, the question you ask is the second part is, well, okay, is anything ever redundant? Because you can use it again one day. And the other part is, well, what else can Mitch Wallace do? Can mm. he play wing? Can yep. he play inside mid? Can he play as a high forward? Can he play half back? And they might argue, well, his kicking skills aren't up to scratch for the way we like to play that style, but your question is, and they'll know this better whether he has another role, but sometimes you're right, Jerry. you've got to look in and go, we are a bit young, so what we need to fill is an experience void as much as anything. So we'll take possibly Mitch Wallace playing half forward. He can get up the field and get down the field, but he may be a little slow to get, get forward. So we'll take that because what he'll do in experience and helping others, and he also gives us another option. If we get injuries, we can put him inside mid. Um, but the, again, no doubt they've gone through all those machinations yeah. on there. But the, the big one is it'd be similar to Richmond when they played a heap of those kids and Josh Caddy still sitting in the twos. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they did a similar thing recently. So you could argue, why didn't you go to Caddy when you went with Nash and you went with somebody else? So yeah, so teams do do it. Um, and don't worry, they would have thought about it. But it's a fair question to ask, though. Is the other side of it, and this could be my possible justification of this, but you're better to know this as a previous senior coach, that when your team is going well, Geelong have been able to do, you actually start to drip feed some young players in that are probably a little bit, well, they are definitely inexperienced, but need to get a feel of those big moments, which will be a collective over two or three years of time for a certain amount of games and experiences. But the good teams do it when they are going well because they seamlessly come into the team. And blokes like Caddy, as you've mentioned, guys like Mitch Wallace are the ones that miss out. Could that be a justification that Bevo's saying, we're going really well. We've got a great core at the moment. We've got a handful of injuries. This is an opportunity to put two guys that are probably just out of their depth at the moment into a team that's running pretty smoothly. Yeah, so I think I think Garcia was 37 and I presume Butler was 38 last night in terms of players used. Mm. So Luke Beveridge has absolutely done that. Mm. I just wonder whether last night was the night to go. The ex- yeah. But bit of experience to the wheel. That, that that's Well, there's a tipping point too, isn't there? You can have you, you can have too many all at the one time. Yep. So bring one in, but but supplement him with maybe an experienced player. Don't bring two or three. Lee Matthews had a a theory, and I think it still stands the test of time today. It's about how many you bring into the one line. That's right. So if you've got a full back line, you don't want your back pocket, full back, and back pocket to be all all new. That's one line that can be decimated. Or your three mids um, at at one one time. So you can spread them out evenly over the course of the field, and they'll blend in a little bit more Mm. with the experience you have on the day. Just a little bit of like the detail. What's the best role for a young player to come in and play to learn? First up, what's the easiest spot for them to start mm. their career? 
Yeah, I don't, I don't probably have an answer today because everyone's a little bit different, isn't mm. it? Well, say, say they're a midfielder type. Where, yeah. where would you, not when I say the word try and hide them, allow them to find their feet and not be in critical moments? Well, I guess what it's done, I guess it depends on what they've done in their previous. If they're a pick one like a Matt Rowe comes in, you just throw him inside mid and yeah. you just say go, go for it. But if you're a player that's finding his feet two or three years in the twos, you, I, I guess you know the, the flanks are always a great position not to be fully involved mm. all the time and it gives you a better opportunity. So that's always a great place to start. But yeah, it's also a great place to die as well. The flanks of the pockets are a beautiful thing when you're young. If you start getting to the back end of your career and you're playing those spots, the writing's on the wall. We're gearing up for a big day of footy for Dometic Outdoor. Go further, stay longer. So I, I got two follow-up questions from that. Is one, I think it was the Mick Moldhouse theory. Can you spend too long in the VFL where you actually become a VFL player? Mm. Yeah, I do believe in that part as well. Yep. And the step up from VFL, we, you know, we've been covering a handful of them on Thursday night. You're like, how is this guy not playing seniors? Mm. There's a massive void still. And there's a handful of players that are in this no-man's land where they're not quite good enough. Yep. But it's also the role that you play, Jared, and the dominance that you have at VFL level where you are the man and you come up and you're never playing that same role at senior level. So I think there... You're a product of your environment. You're a product of the speed. You're a product of the standard of football that you're playing for a period of time. And it is so hard to replicate that at training, at the senior level. You know, they train at a higher intensity, but it's so hard to transfer that into a weekend's performance. And then the second part is, and it's the hypothetical, if there was a mid-season trade period after round 11, so next week, and you're Mitch Wallace, mm. and you're vice-captain of the footy club that is right at the point of premiership contention, and the last vice-captain in a premiership year ended up as the one who lifted the cup. Do you leave and go and play the rest of the season in an AFL team, or do you punt that there is a day where you'll get called back in and you could be part of it all? <laughs> That's a very, very good question. Uh, if he goes oh to Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> Depends who your suitor is, I That's suppose. a great question. If you Jerry, went you... somewhere where you were guaranteed to play every game mm. for the rest of the season and restore you as a senior player. But not prob but not win a flag or go to a, a flag, club where you need or it? Or do you hedge and go, I could still lift the cup here? Jeez. What's he thinking, do you reckon? What's Mitch Wallace? What, what's Nathan Jones thinking right now? What's what's going? What's the worst doomsday scenario playing out in Nathan Jones's mind? The right same now? as Brett Delidio's situation. Yep. That you've been one of the main players of that club for a long period of time. You leave, and then that club goes on, and starts winning. I'm going to give you a think time yeah, on that. On. For Dometic, always stay relaxed and hydrated wherever your adventures take you with. Uh, Dometic's rugged drinkware. The crunch coming up. All the current issues in footy on crunch time for the Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. Stock the all-new Nissan Navara. Pro 4X built tough. And for Red Rooster, delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken. The round 11 edition of crunch time from the MCG. Jared Waitley, Andy Ma, Nick Del Santo and Justin Lepich ahead of this Saturday of footy. A lot of issues to tick through in the crunch. For Bet with Joel, Australia's number one tipping service. Gamble responsibly, 1-800-858-858. And tidy up our previous discussion. So it's, high, it's entirely hypothetical, yes. but it, it is rather lovely. If you're Mitch Wallace and there was a mid-season trade period, which hopefully is the future in the AFL, and it's next week, and you know how far down the pecking order you are, you've only played two games, your role is redundant, you can't get into a, a key clash when there are injuries and a lot of young players are being played. Do you leave to a club where you're guaranteed to play the last 11 games of the season and re-establish yourself as an AFL player? Or do you stay knowing that you are the club vice-captain 
And in the event that Marcus Bontempelli, <laughs> God forbid, gets concussed in a preliminary final and is a mandatory out for grand final day, there is a very real chance that you're on the podium lifting up the cup. You know what I love about this hypothetical? Wow. You've gone into so much detail that you've also written out poor Marcus Bontempelli's being roped into this. This is just a hypothetical Western Bulldogs supporters don't get too alarmed. Because it can't happen. We don't have a trade period. Yeah. But I'm just interested mm. in it. Can you send me the lotto I, numbers for tonight, please? <laughs> I would, if I'm Mitch Wallace, I've just changed during the ad break, just having a quick chat. I would sacrifice 11 games, knowing that if he was to go to another club, he would be guaranteed, let's say he's guaranteed the 11 games at the back end of this year. I would sacrifice those 11 games for the possibility of being a part of the finals yep. campaign, whether it's Marcus or it's anybody. They don't want to play a handful of young guys come September. I'd sacrifice 11 games, and then I'd leave at the end of the well, year. Well, he, he, he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. So he, he, the, the de destiny is his to, to do with whatever he will as a footballer at the end of the season. So, so he can do that. Oh, I think your point's a really good one. Uh, and this is notwithstanding the fact that we're playing with the mid-season trade. But, but I reckon your point, Del, is the right one. It, it's in a career that spanned you know, all these years and all of these games, 11 more? Mm. Nah, you stick it out. Your old man was a club champion. Your name's important to that football club. No one at the Western Bulldogs begrudges if he just chooses to seek you know, opportunity elsewhere at the end of the year, which he's completely entitled to do contractually. Um, but the just-in-case scenario and the what-if about that is, gee whiz. So what, what is his role at the moment? So he's inside mid in the, in the VFL at, at this point in time. So he's, his forward role is redundant. He's got a game where you've got two of their best mids out and he can't get a game in that, the, the role he's actually being prepared for. Mm. So you wonder how many players will go out before he gets the opportunity. They're going to have to not just... They're going to need more than Bont out, I think, Jared, on the... Um, these circumstances, even to play him, even if he is vice-captain. Um, so they might have the first year someone holds up the cup without even being in the leadership group. That'll be an interesting, if under your scenario, yeah. Jared. I don't know that's going to happen. But, um, so yeah, it is, but I, I think Dell's point, um, which he stole off me in the break, is correct. Um, that I think it's the most important thing. He sticks out this year. He might get an opportunity, maybe as a half-forward, I think, um, uh, using, using his experience on grand final day, if he gets in and then moves on. So his footy's Mitch Marsh. Um, just yes. appointed to the vice captaincy and, and superfluous to needs. It's uncanny, uh, the parallel. This is why we should have a mid-season trade period, though. There is an underclass of player, and it is numerous, who would be of great value at various clubs of competition. They come with... Uh, they, they have higher value within a season when no you doubt. can identify your needs. No and, and it's great for... Careers. Did you say he's twenty nine? He's twenty eight now. Twenty eight. Twenty nine next season. Do you, yep. If he is to leave at the end of the year, once again a hypothetical. How many offers? How many clubs would someone like would love someone like a Mitch Wallace at their footy club? In four months' time. Oh, you think a few. There's definitely the the problem with Mitch. He'll have more suitors in the bottom six on the ladder, yeah. and then that that's going to be the problem. Those that have mid, uh, midfield voids, those that want leadership in it. Um, obviously, he's in the leadership group, and it, I wouldn't have thought a club's going to put someone in a in a vice captain position or a leadership group position if they don't think they're going to play every week, unless it was voted by the players. And that quite often happens. It's a player led thing. They get they get put in. Um, irrespective of whether you're it's playing or not. It's against the criteria, often, against, a, against, you know, a trademark, a yeah. Which, which kind of shows me he's a good bloke. Yep. You know, and I know Mitch a little bit being close with the Rancers, but he is a great fella. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me just also with his, just him as a person will go to a club and, and do well and help other kids anyway. Because remember, it's not just the player you recruit. You recruit, if you're recruiting someone that helps another seven or eight pe people, you're recruiting another coach. Is a mid-season trade 
inevitable? Uh, it should be. A, because it's actually pivotal to a group of players. And B, it's just so much fun. Yeah, there's from that part of it I love. The fabric of a footy team, this is what we start with, this is what we're going to end the season with. I know there's a... Yeah. No, it's not a free-for-all because no, no. there are salary caps and yep, contracts yep, to be yep, absorbed. Yep, so yep. you have to be super careful with what you're doing. But it favours... If you're clever and creative uh, and you're watching... God, if one of these contenders picks up a player, are we going to sit still or are we going to mm. move ourselves? It would be so invigorating big for the wins, competition. Big wins to be had too for the club that holds the player. I mean, you can get draft stock. You can get all sorts of stuff that comes your way that can be incredibly valuable. You will get clubs playing overs, paying overs in the middle of the year because they they know they're in the hunt. So that for, if you've got a third-string ruckman and the other mob's got none and they need one and the other two that they had have both done knees and out for the year, they're going to pay overs for what they need and what you've got. And it's, there's a glorious with, history in our competition of this, which is conveniently yep. ignored by those who oppose it. There's, there's a glorious it, history of mid-season well, yeah, of change yeah, within the competition. Yep. It, it, yep. We were the forerunners of it. Mm. The AFL, oh, the VFL, yep. Yep. ahead of competitions around the world by far and away. Yeah, it's true. Yep, yep. And, and then what, yep. somewhere along the way, we stopped. Yeah. What happens yep. if you had a disgruntled player that wasn't playing? Um, let's use the Josh Dunkley example from last year. And I know there's been some injuries and all those. But what about a player that's currently in the best 22 or 23 as it stands now with a medical sub that therefore wanted out as well at that particular time? Said, hey, I don't want to play this role. I was guaranteed I was playing on ball. I don't want to be a part of this at the moment. Currency. Good, good, yep. You, you haven't. Um, so we always think about the players that aren't getting an opportunity. Yeah, no, no, what are those that, that, no, yeah, that well, are still playing? It's, yeah, I did good to, part of the story. Ultimately, I don't think there's enough player movement in our game. I'm, I might be a minority in that, might not be. But I know the PA don't like this time of the year. They don't want to ship a young player from Melbourne over to Perth for 10 games, 11 games. But I think we have to be a little bit bigger than that um, as an industry and a bit better than that. Because I think the most important thing too is that we, the only, we've got two mechanisms at the moment. You get an 18-year-old kid to come in that, that don't really have impact unless you're Matt Rowell in your first year. Probably for three years you've got. Or you trade someone in. What do you have to do? You've got to get their permission. Yep. You've got to, you know, you've got to fit into the cap, pay them the money. It is, it's so hard to even get that done. So we just don't have the ability for two footy clubs to ring each other. Jared, you're at Geelong. Okay, would you like Tom Lynch? Okay, what can you give me? We've got cap issues. Let's work it out right now. But we can't have that two men in a room mentality because we've got to have a manager involved. We've got to have the AFLPA involved. We've got to have all these mechanisms. It's almost impossible. And the other thing, trade period, you've got to do it in a week. So, like, seriously, like, why can't, if the deal fell off in January, we come back to it again? Right, okay, because we had another guy that left, so now we've got room for that deal. Mm, yep. We just provide no flexibility for list managers and clubs to make the improvements they need. So this is why we go to long, laborious recruiting draft players that take four years because yeah, that's pretty yeah. much the only option you got. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing else to do. Yeah. Otherwise, you can try the, the picking them off, but you, it's so hard to do, and you'll probably get to the middle part of the ladder and dip back down to the bottom yeah. again anyway. That's Collingwood and Hawthorne right now are desperate to amass picks, and it's going to be hard to do at the end of the year. Mm. It'd, yeah. be, it'd be much easier to do it next week. Oh, it'd be great. Absolutely. And, and, and for those two clubs, supporters, the supporter bases of those clubs – there's an appetite for that right now. We all, we all know how, how valuable the draft can be, particularly in a good year. 
Well, let's move a couple out now. Let's well, let's get them in. Let's get the picks uh, in. And that is the feeling of different supporter bases when their team's not going well. And you read it online, they say, and we don't have a first-round draft course. pick. You know, and we don't have this. And we've mm. made this mistake in the past. So you raise a really good point, Jared. There's a lot of logistics that need to go into place. and yeah, all of the, course there are. But the there different are examples pieces that need to all move. around the yeah. world to draw on as to what suits mm. us, mm-hmm. as well as a history to go back and go, how did we used to manage these mm. things? There's this misnomer that, the fans, whoever the fans are, um, don't like player movement. Every metric I've seen around trade period <laughs> says the fans are obsessed <laughs> with trading players. Obsessed. And yeah. I reckon so if there ask- might be that small group who would hold the game hostage to the way that it was, but even they would have to recognise this is what we used to do. Mm. This mm. restores something that you evidently used to love and, and from present a, the modern world. And from a status perspective, there's a lot of supporters that we identifying plays in their current right. team that shouldn't be there so as well. Ta- so do you two take me inside the player group. You're, you're in the hunt, but you've lost two players who were your... That was your stockpile of a position. Let's use the Ruckman because it's an easy... Both your Ruckman are done. Hmm. Are you saying to your football operations gurus, go get someone? And if it's going to cost... If it's, if it's that bloke over there, that, we've got six wingmen... If it's that bloke, it's our fourth best wingman who has to go. He's a good bloke. We played with him for the last six years, but Sandy, he's got to go. They haven't got any of them. Are you happy? Whatever the scenario that sees, are you happy to lose a teammate in a situation like that? If I had to go to the senior recruitment staff and have to say that, then they're not doing their damn job to start yeah, with. But, I'd like but, to think that they can they, identify that. If they want that. to come to the leadership and say, "Listen, this is a potential fabric change. But we t- know he's popular. We know you love him." But he, we, they're it happens interested every in him year. and we want that. That happens every year as it currently yep. stands. It just happens at the end of the Mid-season, football season. Mid-season, are you okay with it? I think you're if in you're, the hunt. I think if it's okay if it happens at the end of the year, you can bring it forward 11 weeks yep. and accept it. It's already happening because we're going to have a draft. So we've already got guys, and no, they're not AFL clubs, but they're playing VFL at a club halfway through the year going to potentially Perth. Yep. So there's a kid that might be playing Sandringham right now. He'll end up at Fremantle. So it, that change is happening. The only difference why we can't trade for it is that plays current. If you're currently at an AFL club, that can't happen. Yep. So it's kind of it's kind of odd. But we are we're happy to rip out of the VFL, the SANFL mid year, and true. and ruin their That's lives true. and ruin That's their true. clubs. Yep. And because it doesn't really matter. But what's the difference between trading them from AFL to AFL? It's um, mm. yeah, I, I think it's something that needs to be looked at. And maybe I don't think I'm being overly progressive by saying that because it happens all over the world. But I just don't think we see what potential benefit it can have and it'll help it help our clubs not stay on the bottom for three, four, five years if we have better movement mechanisms. This is the crunch for Bet with Joel Transparent Results Driven Sports Tips. Gamble responsibly one eight hundred eight five eight eight five eight. I want to talk, did Brett Ratton miss his moment? Did he refuse to follow through or is that don't be stubborn, don't be held to what you said previously because there's a game to be won and should Hawthorne consider the curability agreement or is have we got enough evidence to say do not go down that path? Who needs a rever for Harley Heaven? The Harley Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. The Harley Heaven rev up for Harley Heaven, the home of Harley Davidson, clearly belongs to St Kilda. It is, how could it be any other way? There was the promise of change, and then at selection there was no follow-through. So the ultimate coaching conundrum, do you... Follow up on the threat 
This is parenting, my God. <laughs> are we really going to go through on this threat and make our lives harder, or are we going to take what's on offer to us and go about winning? Nick Del Santo, Justin Lepich. Oh, I think this is, this is my take on the moment that Brett Radden spoke post that 100-point loss a week ago. The frustration, the emotion, and it was all accurate. I'm not saying any of it was wrong. He did not say a word wrong about their performance in that particular game. But then I think the reality of when he's gone back and looked what was going on in the VFL, some of the plays that could have got brought in, some of their performances last week in the VFL weren't great and didn't warrant a, a call-up. And, and based on the evidence in front of them, I think he had a moment and said, I, I can't go through with all of it. I still feel like there was at least one opportunity to make an example. I hate using that reference, but to, to say this is unacceptable at this football club. These actions and this lack of effort isn't at AFL standards. So I think they might have missed one, but by saying that, they made five changes. But I feel like he was so true in that moment, but then he couldn't follow through because there was no support coming through the VFL and also the injuries. Yeah, it's a, I guess that's what's a dangerous thing to say, isn't it? Because <laughs> you, you, you sort of become cooler the, the further you are away from the game. I guess Jack Bytel and Jack Loney are big names, aren't no. they, when you talk no. about the two guys actually dropped with the other three that were being injured. So... You're right, you've got to have the VFL in form as well. I know um, my last year at Brisbane, we only won three games, and the VF, uh, the, no, the NEFL team only won two. So, I mean, that's at the NEFL level. So sometimes your list can be just such a bad shape. You've got nothing coming through either. So um, they're in a, that, that's not a good sign if, you, if your VFL team isn't being competitive as well and you don't have people knocking down the door. It doesn't make your life easy, and it, it also kind of shows that you're hamstrung a little bit in some areas and some things you want to do. What did you make of it, Jared, out of curiosity? Uh, so they've got three winnable games notionally, but only notionally. So I think it's really interesting. Is Do you lose? So what happens with my parenting is my kids now know I'm not following through with my threats. <laughs> so it's just it's just empty. My wife knows and she counsels me from time to time. What's the point of even saying it if you're never going to follow through? You go, yes, I'm absolutely guilty of that. So do you lose the perform or else card? Has Brett Ratton lost that, having not followed through? I guess what, one thing you can do, Joe, which is what I do, is I say, you know your wife's not going to be, my mum, your mum's not going to be happy, so you can use that one if you like. So then it takes you out of, you're still the good guy, because <laughs> yes. you, you're not punishing them, then you say your mum will punish her. So you can use that one going forward, so that, that can work as well. But The grim oh. reality for St Kilda this it was a bad week to lay that down. Because they didn't have much to bring mm. in. Mm. That was the re- that's the actual reality facing St Kilda and, at the moment. And the other layer to that is, Andy, I expect them to win this afternoon. Of course they should. They better. So does that cover up the actual true well, issues? Because there, there's a handful of plays that could be up to five to six to seven well, of yeah, these guys that yeah. are on. This is your, you know, your final call. This is your last opportunity to give the effort and the performance. They should do that today no matter mm. what. So it's a, you love an analogy. It's like a, a cricketer that hasn't made a run for 10 innings. Then they go out and they make a 50 against a team that's just so, so. And you go, hey, he might be back in form, actually. He might have finally found his feet in a way that he goes. Is that actually covering up the reality of yeah. where they're at in those players individually? Big shout out to Cam Bancroft this morning from uh, <laughs> Australia. Um, uh, Joe Burns, I beg your pardon. Joe, that was, that was the did. experience yep. of the summer. It was yeah, a course. false economy all the way yep. through and you end up having to drop the bloke. Mm. Uh, two late changes for the Cats. Mm, We've watched this unfold. There are. Well, you just noticed something, Del, about 15 minutes ago that Mark Blitzars was out there seemingly engaged in some sort of a fitness test. Well, he's out. Cam Guthrie is out as well. So they are significant mm. changes for the Cats. Reece Stanley and Zach Guthrie come in. So... Uh, so do with that what you will. Geelong supporters and Collingwood supporters for that 
uh, matter. So Finn McRae uh, is the sub at Collingwood, Jordan Clark at Geelong. But repeating the news, Blitzarves and Cam Guthrie out. On top of Mitch Duncan. That, that, well, I thought Mitch Duncan was going to be... Because you never know with Collingwood, and they do make you beat him. So that's the one thing you know about Collingwood. So I thought Mitch Duncan on his own was going to be a significant enough out. And, 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 and it has a, you know, quite a, a, a dramatic impact on what Geelong can throw at you. Mm. Now you take... Guthrie's been a prolific... Averaging over 30. I mean, just for the last couple of years, has turned. he's, he's become yep. elite almost. Whether you, you yep. sort of put him... There, I mean, his performance warrants that sort yes. of consideration. And Blitzarves today against, um, against Brody Grundy was was surely going to be significant in the planning well, somewhere. We did that game last week, Jerry. Cam Guthrie was off the ground for a substantial amount of time. He was in the rooms. I believe it was a shoulder injury. He ultimately came back on and finished off the game okay. I wouldn't be surprised if he had a local injection just to get through the remainder of last week's game. But they're, they're three big outs. Oh, you, yeah. you speak about structurally and how they all play such pivotal roles in different parts of the ground. That's, uh, that could have a huge influence on today's outcome. Should Hawthorne consider or avoid at all costs the Kerribilli agreement with uh, Alistair Clarkson and Sam Mitchell, given the history of these things in both politics and footy? Yeah, I just, I just wonder whether Sam... I mean, I don't know why you're in any rush for a job that you can last four years in, to be honest, Jared, in senior coaching. It's just take as much time as you can. Go to different environments and... Yeah, and see and see everything. I think that's um, and look, I don't know Sam as a coach. But I've met him a few times and seems like a great fella. But yeah, I, you you can't have enough experience. I think Chris Fagan's probably taught everyone. You can't have enough experience and in many roles and many things. Um, to, to when you first because you can be judged by I know this myself by your first job and your first result. So you've just got to make sure you. You're well planned and well done. I don't know why it has to be Hawthorne. It can be anywhere. I mean, some of the great successes have been, uh, like Lee Matthews, great Hawthorne plug on at Collingwood and Brisbane, been successful coach. You don't, and Kevin Sheedy, you don't have to be at the same club. So it's not so much about the Hawthorne Clarko handover, but it's as much for, for Sam himself um, to, to sort of try a bit more, I reckon. I'd, I'd love to see that for, just for him. Jordan Lewis's hunch is that um, Mitchell won't coach at Hawthorne. Oh. It'll be elsewhere when okay. the time comes. Okay. And, and I don't know the beauty about experiencing other environments for a coach rather than just other ideas and other systems that you have. Once again, you're a product of your environment. You are what you've always been and what you've learned. So I'll, uh, I'll be interested in that one, Jared, no doubt. Nick Del Santo, Justin Lepich, great to have you on Crunch Time. Thanks, Jared. Thank you, Jared. Those are our thoughts. Now you share yours with us on the open line, one 736 for Southern Phone. Switch to Southern Phone. Simplify your life with Southern Phone mobile plans. If you want to challenge anything that's been said, if you want to add your voice, one... Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. 300 736 736. This has been crunch time for the Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. They stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X built tough.